Welcome everyone to One Hour, One Decision, One H, One D. I am Chris. And I am Tom. And we usually take 60 minutes and play a random game on Xbox Game Pass, but this time we are doing a awesome interview with Chris Chancy from Manavoid Entertainment. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us. And how are you? I'm very good. It's uh it's 4 p.m. here in Montreal, so it's uh, the end of my day, and I, I could imagine a better way to chat about games with, with you fine folks. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So uh, for the folks that are listening, you are you, you guys actually, we, we played one of your games, which was Rainbow Billy and the um, Cursed, Cursed, Cursed Leviathan. Um, and, you know, it was, it was awesome that we got to we got to connect over Twitter and uh, set this all up. But uh, why don't you tell us tell tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, who are yeah, you? Sure. So uh, I'm uh, I'm ten years into the industry. Um, I started Manavoid Entertainment in uh, about 2013. Uh, I started right out of university, so I had a bachelor's degree in cinematography and had no idea what I wanted to do with that. So I did a post grad degree and video game design, uh, and, uh, started Manavoid right away with, uh, two partners that I had in my classes back then. And, uh, today we're about 50 people at Manavoid. So it's grown significantly, uh, since, uh, since then we're working on a bunch of different projects. Uh, Rainbow Billy is the last game that we shipped. We're currently working on a roguelike city builder called Roots of Victrasil, which is, uh, should be coming out sometime this year or next. We'll see what the, what the dates will be. Uh, and yeah, you know, put aside everything Manavoid related, I'm also, I have a, an accelerator here in Montreal called the Indie Asylum, where I invest in startups uh, in the indie sphere. Um, essentially, what we realized is there's no real funding for startups. <laughs> so we decided to be a, an option for, for the indies that wanted to start and also to help them, you know, understand the industry a little bit better starting out. So obviously, coming out of university, I made every mistake that one can make uh, when trying to start a studio. And I'm trying to avoid that for all the studios that we're investing in now. Um, so all in all, I invested in about eight studios. We're 200 developers now in the Indie Asylum. We're all in the same building as well. So it allows us to exchange and you know allows us to mutualize a lot of services and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm also president of uh, uh, an industrial cluster here in uh, Quebec, which is a province in Canada where we're from. Uh, it's called La Guilde Jeux Vidéo du Québec. Uh, essentially, uh, we do representation with governments and, you know, we represent the entire industry here in Quebec. So my biggest member is Ubisoft with 4,000 employees and my smallest member is a one-person studio uh, doing it out of their garage. And so the, the challenges are varied. Uh, on the one hand, I'm trying to, you know, negotiate immigration laws. And on the other hand, I'm trying to help indies get more funding for to make their cool games. Um, so it allows you to have like a really, you know, a, a really big picture of, of everything that's happening in the, here in the ecosystem. And I also teach, uh, in two universities cause I don't sleep also. I don't, I didn't mention, uh, and I have a very understanding wife. Um, and I don't have kids. I don't have kids yet. So I'm oh, trying to put everything in for the next <laughs> two years. And then I know I'm going to have to slow down at one point. Uh, I was about but, to say, it seems like you're, you're, uh, you're, 
You're not that busy. <laughs> so much. But it's time. fun, you know. I I have, I have the energy for it. It's uh, I'm lucky to be working in an industry that I love. Uh, I don't feel like it's work every day, even though you know there can be challenges. It's it's very exciting to work with uh, with the new games. Awesome, awesome, living that dream. Yeah. Um, so going back to Rainbow Billy, if how long was that development cycle? Yeah. So we started Rainbow Billy. Um, in 2018 uh and it shipped in 2021 so it took us three years to make the game and the game went to really really crazy changes uh <laughs> throughout development Interesting. so uh it was actually born out of a kickstarter that we did in 2018 i think it was like june of 2018 um and the game at the time was called steamboat billy and it was really inspired by you know the cuphead aesthetic really 1930s cartoons uh and uh you know, we were really inspired also by all of the Disney shorts that existed back then. You know, we wanted to do like a adventure RPG in that aesthetic, essentially. Um, what we realized from the Kickstarter, there was, a, I think we raised like $90,000 at the time, which was a significant amount of money, you know, considering Kickstarter today is not what it was yeah. in 2012. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so we knew we had something with the game. Um, but one of the the negative comments that kept coming back was, Oh, it's like a Cuphead clone or, you know, or it's like, it's as if Cuphead was now the only game that could do 1930s cartoons. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we switched it up and modernized the, the cartoon art style that, uh, that we wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, you know, we, we essentially also just made the decision to move from 2d to 2.5d. So all of the environments are in 3d, but the characters are in two dimensions. We wanted to keep the characters in two dimensions because they give a lot of personality, a lot of color, like a lot of. You know, it's fun to like, uh, it, I guess it, it's like more of a emotion uh, can come through characters in 2D that I, that we found that we could do. And in 3D was all of the exploration aspects that we could push in. So having that extra dimension allows us to go vertical and go. Like, and so we were really happy with that decision, but it did raise a lot of the costs for the game. Um, so we started development in uh, in. 2018 and then around 2019 we managed to raise funds through uh, the Canada Media Fund which is a fund here that helps push out Canadian content uh, for video games and movies and TV all that kind of stuff and then we also found a publisher for the game uh, in 2019 as well which was Skybound Games uh, and Skybound are famous for the Walking Dead franchise I have no idea why they wanted to invest in my you know like kids game but um, but yeah, they saw something uh, in what we were doing and wanted to be uh, a partner with the project and it was awesome working with them. And then all in all, you know, it allowed us to to scale the team and, and grow to where we are today. Awesome. Yeah. So cool. So like the, also the, I might mention, the game shipped technically in uh, October of 2021. Uh, and then after the first year, we essentially decided to, well, we, we partnered up with uh, Game Pass uh, to be able yeah. to, you know, shift the, like, push the game out to even more people. And so we're really happy with the reception so far. And, you know, the comments have been, have been really heartwarming. Uh, yeah. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what platforms it ultimately is available on? Uh, obviously, we played it on Game Pass. That's kind of the core element of our show. Um, but uh, I guess what, what else is it on? And I'm, I'm curious to see, like, maybe what challenges you had uh, 
porting it and, and making it, you know, on all Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> we, we simship the game on all platforms at the same time. So oh. a simship is when you're trying to coordinate a launch on everything at the same date at the same hour, uh, which is really, really challenging uh, because all of the platform holders have a very, like really drastically different, you know, things that they do with their platform. So for example, um, you know, the way Xbox achievements and Xbox like profiles and game saves works, this is like, it's like totally different from how the Nintendo switch works or how the PlayStation works. So you kind of have to make like a, a first version of the game on PC that just like fully functional and then tailor, uh, all of the like save systems, all of the profiling, all of the little features that you want to put in, uh, that are console specific for each console and control mapping. Sometimes UI needs to change. So that was really like uh, the major challenges and doing that to send shit like everything at the same time. And then what you realize is, okay, well, we have a bug in the game. Okay, so now I need to fix it, but not on one platform. I need to fix it on all platforms at the yeah. same time in five languages. So it was kind of nuts. Honestly, uh, <laughs> in the uh, but we did it. We we honestly learned a lot through the development and the porting process. Uh, it was challenging, but in the end, I'm really happy that we did because I feel like it also puts us in in like a new category of studio now. Like, uh, you know, we've done it. We're able to do it again if we have to. So I think you know anyone looking at our studio or like any publishers that might be interested in, in like helping fund it, finance some of our projects going forward, like they know that they have the safety that we've done it before and that we can do it again. So it's, it's like, I guess takes away a lot of the risk factors for, for potential partners to work with us uh, at this point. Oh yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, in terms of now you talked about the, like how you had to deploy this to many different platforms. Can you can you talk about the because this is one thing that we always talk about on our, our podcast is the discrepancy sometimes of file sizes between um, you know PC or the Xbox platform because those, those are the only two that we we play at the, at the moment since it's on Game Pass. What what causes these discrepancies and like what's the deal? Why is it sometimes I've, at least that we've seen how I, it makes sense that PC would generally be be larger than Xbox, but sometimes we've seen the the opposite. Yeah. And it's like, what's the deal? I think uh, part of that is like all of the overhead that you need to put in for it to work on Xbox. So I mentioned like the safe systems, all of those kinds of things. Sometimes the features go way, way further than that. You know, like if you want to add really specific features for, for a platform like Xbox, you know, like Xbox has the, I think they have like the, the forward compatibility now and all that kind of stuff. It, so all of those, like all of that code, all of that, like uh, is all into the game. Sometimes also a platform will need to be optimized for, I'll take the switch as an example. The switch is, I think technically the worst console graphically. And so rainbow Billy, for example, on Xbox, I think is a hundred FPS throughout the entire experience. I don't think it like really hiccups at any place. Whereas on the switch. Uh, there were some areas where we were rendering too many things at the same time. And so we needed to downscale the graphics a little bit. Once you downscale the graphics, you're downscaling a little bit of like the, the memory it takes uh, to be able to, the file size. Um, and so that's, I guess the main reasons were is like mostly graphical. Um, you know, if it's really big texture sizes, because you want to like render it in 4k, it'll be like a lot bigger. 
Um, but you know, th those are like the, the major factors I would say. And then, you know, depending on the game as well. So Rainbow Billy, like it's an adventure RPG. It happens in a 2.5D world. The game, like you guys have played it. I mean, it's, I think you can go through it in like 12 to 15 hours, but generally it goes to like the 20 to 25 range when people want to get all the achievements and stuff. So there's a lot of content in there. <laughs> um, and so it, it became like a bigger game, more bigger than, you know, we had initially anticipated just because of all the exploration elements in the game. You know, once you're on that boat, you want to kind of explore everywhere you can go. You want to like push your luck into these different areas, find all the hidden trinkets and secrets and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's just a lot of content. A lot of content means a lot of visuals, a lot of 3D assets, a lot of 2D assets. Uh, and so a lot of dialogue, uh, it's, it's all of that kind of just start chipping away at the file size until at some point it's just a massive thing that you didn't anticipate. And it is a bigger challenge on, on a platform like uh, Nintendo than it is on Xbox. Xbox are, honestly, Xbox is probably like the most fun platform to develop for. <laughs> Microsoft are pretty cool. Interesting. Uh, if, if I had to like rate how hard it is to port, I think Xbox is probably one of the easier because it's so close to PC that, you know, there's like some, some, some general advantages there. Switch, Switch is the worst one. You know, in, in Switch, you can't even patch a game more than 500 meg. So if you're like wow. adding too much content in one shot, you have to add it in packets. It's like super complicated for no reason. Oh, <laughs> um, so the, it's, these are all like really behind the scenes things to, to, to know about, but it's just, yeah. I mean, Xbox was, was the best to, to do it for. Awesome. And I mean, we, we appreciate you giving us a little a look behind the curtain here. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it certainly helps us because we we stare at those file sizes. Sometimes it just we, I don't understand, you know, especially when yeah, the I Xbox mean, I'm, one I'm not is like larger. a Call of Duty that has like terabytes of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, I don't know what they're at now, but I knew it was crazy. I played Warzone the other day and I was like, what? I had to like delete 18 games to be able to install it. <laughs> um but no, no, but, but, but yeah, it can get kind of nuts. And the, you know, what's funny is as a dev, it's not something that you'd necessarily think about, you know, the file size of your game is not something that like really matters, I guess it's because I'm an indie and like, for yeah. me, it's just, well, I know my game's going to be a somewhere in between like the five gigabyte to 20 gigabyte kind of, kind of game. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's difficult if you're, you know, I think it's also difficult if you're porting it physically. You know, yeah. and then I think the file size is an issue because like on those cartridges or on the, on a, you know, a Blu-ray or whatever it is, they, they put it on now, like that, that I guess can be also a, a problem. Um, but yeah, luckily that was not our case. We were able to ship our physical copies, which <laughs> it's uh, cleanly, uh, on, on one CD and then that was it. Well, uh, you, you mentioned Warzone. But what other kind of games do you like playing outside of outside of making them? Oh well, yeah, I mean, uh, like honestly, once you start making games, you kind of start stop playing them. <laughs> like, I think, <laughs> like I do games all day, so when I get home, I, I try to do other things. But I'm a competitive gamer. Um, I've always been a competitive gamer, and so it's very strange that I'm making these adventure RPGs now because they're very far from what I would usually play. Uh, you know, the, the genesis of Rainbow Billy in itself is just like a weird story where it was in 2D. I had an art director who wanted to make a black and white game and I was adamant that it would never work. And so we kind of compromised and decided to make a black and white game that would kind of turn into color. And that kind of became the main mechanic of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then from there, it was like, okay, let's let's like put all these creatures and have an imaginary world. But like, there's a layered story with an imaginary world and a real world and all that kind of stuff. And it was really exciting to develop, like in a design aspect. There's a lot of things into the game that people don't realize went into it. You know, a lot of the characters are based on real life people that we know. A lot of uh, you know what Billy's going through uh, or what the characters are going through has like a real world meaning and. And so it, it was really fun to to be able to develop a game. It was also non like we developed it as a not violent game because we wanted to for kids to be able to play it. Uh, you know, it's a stat that we had seen. I think in 2019 at E3, it was like 83 percent of games were like considered violent. And I was like, wow, that's that's a sad stat, isn't it? <laughs> I think we could do a little bit better than that. Um, and so we wanted to kind of do something different. Um, but yeah, me, me, I, I play competitive games. You know, I, I played uh, Hearthstone. I got to like the Challenger Leagues at Blizzard. I played Brood War in 97. Like I used to play seven hours a day, like <laughs> playing against like South Koreans all day. Uh, I played Dota 2, you know, got like in the top 20 teams in the Americas. Like I'm Rocket League. Like uh, I, I just love beating people online, you know. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you have you tried Marble Snap? I am. I could level fifteen hundred right now on full snap. So. <laughs> it's so good. It's, I know. It's, such a, I, it's so addicting. I'll do my daily quests before I go to bed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. No. I, I, anything that I feel is is like interesting, competitive, and that I can put my edge on and try and win is always something that I like to do. And we're actually working on a competitive title right now that uh, will yeah. be will be announcing, I guess, sometime this year. Uh, and so you'll get, you'll, you'll be able to see, uh, what we're working on in, in the next, uh, next few months. Awesome. So it's exciting to hear. Um, so with regards to development games, what is generally the loop in terms of development? I mean, you kind of, you kind of touched on this already where, uh, your art director kind of gave you a concept and then you kind of like work through it, but like, you know, a little bit more behind the curtains. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's like three main sections, I guess. The, the like the, the way the industry jargon would say it is: there's pre-production, there's production, and there's post-production. So pre-production, like you include in that phase, like uh, the conception of the game, so like the ideation of what do we want to do, uh, and then usually in that time you want to do a market study as well. If you're smart, anyway, you want to do a market study <laughs> to make sure that the game is as a market. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you want to you want to look at what's being made, uh, what's popular, what you think is going to be popular two or three years down the line, because you're always kind of like forward looking when you're developing a title. Yeah. Um, and then off of those kind of back backbones, you want to develop an experience that has some innovation, but that's not completely out of the box so that, you know, people can have some reference points that they can hang on to and some hooks that they can understand. And then, you know, once you have those kind of pillars of design nailed, uh, you're able to kind of flesh it out. And then pre-production becomes just a planning phase where, so your programming team starts prototyping and developing the main mechanics and features. And are they fun? Why do they suck? You know, trying to understand, you know, so like the iteration of it is really important, you know. So for example, like the the combat and Rainbow Billy, which just became conversations as the development went along, I think initially there was like a match three system and then you had like colored mana and then through that you were able to do certain spells that would recolor the creature in front of you. Uh, you know, and then, you know, we, we tried like really watch different things like throughout the, the experience and it ended up being really conversation based uh, and with mini games and stuff. 
Um, but you know, like finding the fun is really important in the pre-production phase. What you essentially want to do is map out what are all the things that we feel we're, we're not in control of or that we don't know. And those are like black boxes. And then you want to be able to like uncover those black boxes and see what's inside them during pre-production. So that when you hit production, then it's just essentially, here's the list of things that we need to be able to develop to be able to ship this game. So pre-production for Rainbow Billy took a while uh, because of all the changes that we did, 2D to 2.5D, the game grew and we got like injections of cash. So we were able to like grow the scope to something that we really felt was meaty and meaningful. Um, so we went through like through a lot of uh, iteration uh, uh, in pre-production. And then production was about, I think, a year, a year and a half of the three years that we took. Um, and then, you know, it was just pumping out the assets, pumping out the content, all of the writing. Everything was mapped out. We knew what, what all the levels were, all the creatures were, what they were going to be, what they were going to say. And then from there, it was just implementing all those things into the game. Uh, and uh, and then post-production is essentially, once you're done, you're, you have like what we call a gold version of your game. Then you're in like polish and porting and debugging and, you know, QA and all that kind of stuff. Localization to, you know, have it in multiple languages. And then all of the marketing stuff is, is always kind of a, important throughout so you'll have marketing beats like you want to showcase at e3 and then i'm not saying that e3 is going to be interesting this year from what i'm seeing but yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually you'd have a showcase at an e3 or an event like that uh and then you know you want to have those beats during pre-production and production but uh for sure you want to be able to launch your game with as much hype as possible um and so you know finding the right launch window trying to plan it with content creators pr teams uh, trying to get you know media like you guys involved and all that kind of stuff. So that's post-production stuff. And then, you know, from then it's just support maintenance and, and debugging and, on all platforms and that kind of thing. So that, those I would guess like are the main aspects of, of developing. Um, I would say Rainbow Billy was done backwards. I, mean, I think, you know, we promised things, like we promised a lot of things in the Kickstarter uh, that we implemented in the game, but then we realized there was much more opportunity with the idea. And so, we went back to the drawing board and, you know, pre-production was way too long for Rainbow Billy. It's not the clean way to do things. Um, so usually you'd want your pre-production to be like, I guess, a third of the development time. And then two thirds would be production, you know. Uh, in our case, it was kind of reversed. <laughs> but, uh, we ended up shipping a game that, you know, did all right. So we're happy with, with the end, end result. Um Thanks. That, that's awesome. The, the insight on, on how that all kind of flows is, is, uh, really cool. Um, so you, we mentioned, uh, or you mentioned earlier talking about game pass and, uh, that maybe Microsoft is kind of one of the easier platforms to develop for, um, are any other perks that you saw, uh, you know, work being on game pass or working with game pass, working with Microsoft? Yeah, I mean, they, they supported a lot of what we did. Uh, you know, we were like on official Xbox podcasts, uh, official YouTube, like trailers were always amplified. And um, there were some really cool partners. I think, you know, Skybound obviously did a lot of the heavy lifting with the platform holders. But I think, you know, on Xbox's side, they wanted to also have some diversity on Game Pass. I think a lot of games are, are you know, look the same or feel the same. And there's a lot of shooters out there, a lot of things like, and we were proposing something radically different. I think a non-violent game, also just a kid's game on Game Passes, there's not that many of them out there. So I think they saw uh, like in us as an indie, something fresh and, and different. 
there's also like some diversity elements to what we were doing. So a lot of the characters in our game are represented uh, representatives of the LGBTQ community. Our main character is non-binary. You know, we had consultants help us figure out, you know, okay, well, what what is a non-binary child kind of go through at an age of like seven to nine and all that kind of stuff. And it's these are all like kind of tidbits that are implemented at the game that, you know, a, a regular player might not see, but that people that are from those communities will catch on uh, and be able to kind of feel represented in games. So those are all like different things that we were bringing to the table. And I think Xbox were amongst the first to say, wow, that'd be really cool to have, you know, on a game pass. It's something different and, you know, something that no one else has seen. And uh, we were really, you know, proud to be on the platform. And and just since, you know, we were a year in and obviously you guys know how video games work. You know, you have like a launch where you have a lot of sales and that slowly dies down. And after a year, there's so much content coming out, you know, every day on on every platform, Steam, Xbox, Nintendo, PlayStation, Netflix, you know, like yeah, there's yeah. there's just so much stuff out there to be able to see and do that really quickly, you know, those sales go down. And so having a Game Pass really brought us back into the limelight. And I think it's like 20 million active users now on Game Pass. So, you know, we got a lot of love for the game suddenly. Like a lot of people started following us, joining our Discord. Uh, I think David Cross like mentioned the game on a podcast. We were like, wow, okay. So like that dude from Arrested Development is playing <laughs> Rainbow Billy like, with his daughter. How cool is that, you know? So these are all things that would never have happened without a Game Pass, you know? So it's it's just putting the game in front of a lot of people. And now we're toying with the idea of, you know, working on a sequel or and all those things. And, you know, it's the fact that a lot of people have seen the game is definitely helpful because, you know, we're, we're going to be coming, you know, uh, with uh, with a community of people who already know the game exists, they know what it's about, and, and we'll be able to, to kind of iterate on that idea. Uh, so again, this is currently just thoughts we'll see what if they yeah, yeah, yeah. materialize but uh but it's something we're thinking about right now for sure game pass was a big a big deal in in putting us in front of a lot of people yeah i, I know one of the things that you know when we when we did review your game it was it was cool just to be able to see a game that was that i really could sit down with my kids and and, and like there's a there's a really good message uh, that that happens throughout just even one of the battles or quote unquote battles that happens. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, and like a lot of the times you, it did like, it did kind of hit home because it was like, wow, like like some of the struggles that these characters are are dealing with. I was like, this is like, there was a lot of thought. I I could see that there was a lot of thought involved with like each interaction. So I was like, it was, uh, yeah. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. You know, we had a lot of schools reach out, um, because I think what the game does well is we manage to really create conversation as like an RPG mechanic. Like, and I think trying to understand what the other person is saying and trying to say the right thing, especially for a kid, I think is like a good process to be able to kind of develop those social relationships. And we were making this game during COVID. So a lot of the social relationships for kids specifically were being like sublimated by the fact that they were at home all the time. Yeah. And so I think... It was like a healthy, I guess, thing to play with your child and be able to say like, what would you think? What would you say? Or, and then kind of have those conversations. And the game goes through some some cool subjects and, you know, like depression and mental health and, you know, like whatever, like whatever it is, uh, you're, you know, each character that's devoid of color has kind of their issue and you're able to kind of work it, work through it with them. And so I think it's like a really cool conversation starter between parents and kids. Um, 
but then you know like it, it warms my heart to know that you know it has an impact and, and you know when we get testimonials like that or, or like on twitter or i get emails all the time I'll, i always forward them to the team that worked on the game because you know it, it makes it all meaningful and honestly working on this game during the pandemic was really cool as well just because if i was making a game about like doom and gloom action war type stuff i feel like a, you know with everything that was happening outside it was just already stressful and dark enough <laughs> going up playing it like a going in every day and just trying to make the most wholesome game ever <laughs> it was, yeah. was really kind of a, a cool thing to help us uh, us like me and the team through the, through the pandemic as well yeah uh, bringing that the color back to the world both in your game and uh you know in the world at large uh much yeah, appreciated in the studio. definitely needed you know <laughs> cool and in there... terms maybe of um of things on game pass that uh but like uh you know as a developer we look at all these platforms coming up with you know subscription services and and all of these things and for sure that for in, in in our mind our mindset is how is this going to be sustainable for the ecosystem of industry going forward right um you know if i'm launching on a game pass i'm essentially making a deal with microsoft and then you know, you don't monetize over time on Game Pass. I don't get a cut off of like downloads on Game Pass. Like I make a deal with Microsoft and then it's gone towards 20 million people or whatever. Okay, so, okay. so it's an interesting thing, you know, to, to see how the, how the, the industry is evolving because it's the Netflix model kind of applied to video games. Netflix does the same thing. You know, they'll negotiate, um, a deal with, a, a produ like a production company to make a, a TV show or a movie or whatever. And then that's the deal, you know, like you, you'll, you'll, they'll pay for development and then they'll give you probably some, some upside, but you know, you don't get like a, you don't get much more of that. And so it caps the upside, but it also takes away a lot of the risk. Um, and so I think for Indies particularly, there's, there's some advantages and disadvantages there. Depends on why you're doing what you're doing. So for us, like the, the art of doing video games is like really, you know, what we're passionate about and everything. So being able to de-risk part of the the production process and the costs that are associated that with a game pass is definitely something that's super interesting but at the same time moving forward how's the industry going to look like if i want to ship a game and and really try and like you know knock it out of the park how is that going to look like what what are people going to be making as decisions in terms of game design or in terms of what content they want to be putting out are they going to be looking at a game pass or you know every other subscription service you know playstation has ps plus uh, there's a, uh, you know, a lot of these that ex like humble has their own subscription service now as well. Like there's a lot of stuff going on out there. And I think it's going to be an interesting one to see how people are positioning themselves in the future, what types of contents are being created. I think the single player, you know, no replayability type of project, which was great mobilities kind of, you know, forays. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be as, uh, prevalent as it used to be because, what you might want to do is, you know, a game that can be monetized over time, a game that has microtransactions or a game that has a lot of DLC that you want to pump into it. And so I might be making a Game Pass deal, but then I know I'm pumping out DLCs every like six to 12 months. and At least I can monetize the crowd that I have. So these are all really interesting questions. Uh, I'll be interested in seeing how it goes. Like I know my answer, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'll be interested to, I'll be interested to see like what the, all of the other indies are doing and what the big studios are doing and seeing how, how the ecosystem kind of shapes up. And this, like, the industry is really Darwinian. Video games in general 
it's like it's very much adapt or die in terms of like the indie industry like you know when free to play came along everyone thought it was like the craziest thing ever and like how 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 is this going to work there's no way we can make that work and and you know it ended up being one of the bigger models ever in our industry and so and then you know you have like all of these blockchain nft games coming out and everyone's saying wow that's crazy no one wants that and we'll see what happens you know <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know man like because of what happened with free to play i'm just trying to be humble in my opinions and my assumptions now and with the subscription-based model, it's the same thing. You know, it's okay. It's a new way of selling games, and, and that will have an impact. It for sure will. But it's so new. Even though Game Pass has been around for a while, I think right, like this year is the the year that I feel like Game Pass kind of took its stride. Um, and so I'll be interested in seeing. You'll you'll see down the line, like two or three years, because that's what it takes to develop a game. You know what decisions developers made, and and what Game Pass is picking up and not taking, and all that kind of stuff. And, It'll be like a, a really cool thing to to evolve into and see where we go. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, with regards to Game Pass and stuff like that, I, I, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter the discourse of, of like the, the the haters of the servers and stuff like that, and how it's like it's not good for developers and all this other stuff. What do you have to say? I, I know there's been some people that have, have had comments about it. Both good and bad, obviously. But what do you have to say? Because since obviously Rainbow Build is on the platform, and you know, uh, it seems to have given you exposure. But you know, are there downsides to it? I mean, you kind of mentioned touched it already, touched on it already with the fact that yeah, you you kind of get a cut at the beginning, and then that's kind of it, like you're yeah. done. But but yeah, yeah. Th- does, but that, I, does that play? I think you know, I I don't see a downside for the consumer. Which is great, you know. Okay. I think anyone who's on Game Pass just has access to a lot of awesome games, and that's why. Why would we be mad at that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of developers, I think everyone just needs to consider their strategy with their games and positioning with their games and all that kind of stuff. So for us, you know, we signed a deal with Game Pass like a year down the line, and so we had like all of the upside of a launch, and then we were able to kind of just kind of re rehype everyone for the game so for us like the strategy was great because that was part of what we wanted to do if you're signing like a, a game pass deal like super early then probably you're getting a lot more money for it because you know you're giving exclusivity to a platform you're giving you know uh you're, you're having the opportunity to be out there and and kind of like have a big community like really off the bat so working on dlc or working on a second title is like really easy after that because you'll see how much hype there was for the game on game pass and it allows you kind of so it de-risks a lot of the production process and and so i think there's like a lot of advantages uh for sure the disadvantages as i mentioned is just let's say i'm like i make a the best game ever but i signed a deal that's capped well then i don't get any of the upside of the best game ever like it's, it's you know it'll be what it'll be but usually like you, you know without going into detail pretty sure this is all NDA stuff, but we're not getting to deal with my deals or whatever. But I think, you know, usually there's like a, a forecasting of what sales would look like with comparables to other titles and all that kind of stuff. And that's all taken into account uh, to make sure that, you know, everyone is winning. And I got to admit, you know, Game Pass or Xbox or Microsoft in general is extremely generous uh, with uh, with developers in general that they work with. I think, you know, I've only heard good things. Uh, they they uh, picked up a studio here in Montreal called Compulsion. We're working on, yeah. on a game 
and you know i i know that that went you know super well and that everyone is happy with that and and so i, I mean from what i'm hearing you know there's there's no real downside except for the unforeseen you know impacts of what the industry is going to look like with the subscription based model going down the line and without like giving uh you know incentives or major upside you know to to studios uh and it's also a new model i'm sure it'll evolve as well there might be like uh you'll get some bonuses if there's x x, x amount of downloads or, or y amount of downloads or whatever it is so that might be like models that start developing it's like yeah it's a subscription cap model but there's also like some incentives if we reach certain milestones or and that kind of stuff and I, i'm sure in the end like the industry tends to like auto-regulate so yeah. you know if everyone gets annoyed with something they usually move on to something else i mean and there's a lot of competition out there also like right now obviously microsoft is a juggernaut in the industry um you know but like a few years ago no one knew what netflix was and you know these things happen quick in the in a you know, tech driven world ai is going to change radically like how we consume and, and how we generate content and all of that kind of stuff and so it's just like really exciting to see. like I, I love just being in this i could talk about this for hours like it's <laughs> there's just like every little thing like it can be like deconstructed into so many like you know ethical challenges uh but I, I see it as a positive in a lot of ways uh I, i'm just anxious to see if if there's like no one else on steam anymore because everyone is on game pass that's a huge deal right so is that going to happen I don't see it happening just because I don't think Microsoft's going to be signing deals with 13,000 developers every year. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen, really? Like, how are all these platforms going to evolve and how are they going to kind of juxtapose with each other and kind of play off of each other and kind of find their niche and their and what they're doing? You know, so Epic, for example, their thing is uh, they offer developers more, like they, they essentially ask for less money uh like a recouping uh, on the, you know, the platform fees. So, you know, so that was their thing. So they wanted to bring developers into their ecosystem by telling them, hey, you're not going to be like forking over 30% of your revenue to the platform. It'll only be 12%. And everyone's like, oh, that's great. I'll be making more money. But then how do you get users involved, you know, in that? Yeah. So now it's like, okay, well, they signed exclusivity deals with some really awesome games. And so the users came to play those exclusive games and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Steam is just like the Wild West. Like you know, anyone can do anything on Steam. There's some crazy games out there, man. Yeah. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so, so you know they they basically let the market regulates itself. So it's it's you know you got a game you can put it on Steam. It costs a hundred bucks. You know it's it's not more complicated than that. Um, and so Steam is extremely Darwinian in the fact that if you have no marketing or if you know you don't have a good hook or if no one's seeing your game, you know it is going to die quick. <laughs> There's just like no. The competition is fierce. There's like 60 games coming up per day. So there's there's no time to, to you know, dilly-dally with, with Steam. You need those wish lists like really high, like off the bat to make sure that you have some exposure there. Um, and then all the platforms, it's, it's, it's kind of like really talking with the platform holders. So, you know, talking with an Xbox and, and getting a, a, a trailer amplified by the official YouTube channel and Twitter and all of those things. And, you know, it's, it goes kind of... Uh, goes hand in hand with that if they're having an event uh like they have a showcase or whatever and, and you know the trailer your trailer is in that showcase it's huge you know and, and that's only like with the platform holders that you can kind of negotiate those things those things um 
so yeah, it's it's every platform is different, every model is different, <laughs> everything is is really kind of uh, it's it's every project has its has its path, has a golden path to success, and it's kind of picking and choosing what's good for you as a developer. I think the only people that would probably have something negative to say about uh, an Xbox Game Pass are people who probably need money right now to make their game and they can't find it. And, you know, they, part of the reason is that there's not enough players on X platform or Y platform or whatever, you know, excuse they could come up with. But again, like it's a Darwinian game, like making games is Darwinian. It's you, you need to adapt or die. And if, if your game is not good enough or if you're not generating enough marketing or that you can blame everything you want, but at the end of the day, it's your fault. It's your, the developer, your game, you know? So yeah, I, I think you can't look at everything with rosy glasses. If I have a game and it fails, that's on me, you know, and yeah. I have to figure out my, how I'm going to make my next move. Uh, and I got to plan ahead, ahead enough so that, you know, any move I'm making is not going to kill me. That's also right. the, that's the indie, that's the indie way. Um, so I might, I, I guess that's a rough way of saying it, but I think, you know, there's no reason to be mad at anyone that has a platform that's generating revenue or make, giving developers money, except if you're not getting the money, like <laughs> that's hardly part of the hate. Um, I'd also say this, um, Microsoft also, when we launched on Game Pass, because of the game's LGBTQ themes, there was a lot of uh, hate that came our way, like uh, at launch. Not a lot of people know this, but like there was a lot of review bombing and that kind of stuff. And Microsoft were super reactive uh, and they were like, you know, amongst the first to say like, this isn't cool. And they deleted a lot of comments on, on their, the official pages and all that stuff. Like there was a huge Reddit thread that came out like in support of us as well. <laughs> like they on the game pass Reddit, they were like, you know, we're embarrassing as a community. I can't believe I'm reading <laughs> this shit. Like it was so funny to see. Um, so I think, you know, the, the crowd out there is buried. Uh, there's a lot of games out there varied. And I think there's enough. Like the pie is big enough for everyone. <laughs> you don't need to be mad that there's a like an adventure RPG that's colorful and wholesome coming out. There's enough Call of Duties out there for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, true. Yeah, but Microsoft was cool and super reactive and helped us through that. So that was fun. This is kind of a anecdote right there for. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Action. I was thinking the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I, I'm a little curious, and this isn't on our script, but. Uh, you mentioned earlier the doing a, a market study uh, to kind of find out if there is a place for your idea uh, kind of in, in the world. Uh, and it seems like maybe some of the people who are upset maybe didn't do one of those. Uh, what does doing one of those look like? Because uh, I'm actually really curious. Yeah, well, if, I think, you know, a lot of people come into the industry as an indie you know, it's like if you're going to be independent, it's because you're probably a programmer, an artist or a designer and you have a good you got a good idea or you think you have a good idea and you're just really hyped about making that idea a reality. Uh, and so you want to start your studio or whatever it is because of that. Right. Which is a really backwards way of going into starting a business. Like it, yeah. Usually you go into a business saying, hey, there's a market here. I want to be generating revenue. Uh, you know, how am I going to develop a product for this market to be able to generate revenue? That's that's how a business should be run, right? Yeah. Um, so I think because of like the artist mindset, we come into it sometimes with some predispositions where you think you're a genius and you have the best idea in the world. But the fact is the consumer is ruthless. And if your game doesn't hit the right spots, you'll know right away because no one's going to be buying your product. So I think that's the reason behind why you want to do a market study. It's like, 
if if you're going to be making games in the middle of a forest and shipping it where nobody sees like it, there's no point to it like it, you know art should be should be should be seen you know it should be heard it should be played um and so we go into it with we do uh first a little it'll probably just be like a, a general hunch you know it'll be like okay well we feel like this genre is on the rise or we feel like you know, this mix of genres would be interesting or we feel like this story is an interesting story to tell. We don't know like what the initial hook is, but there will be a hook. Um, and then from there, it'll be, okay, well, let's see if there's other games that exist like ours. And so we'll do a comparable study. And so it's very difficult to do. The, the industry is very opaque. Like it's very difficult to know how many copies a game sold on Xbox. I have no idea. Unless the developer says so, I can't extrapolate any information off of anything I've seen online. I have no idea of knowing if a game is sold 200,000 copies or 20. Um, and so I, I kind of have to go with the general the general idea of like uh, going on PC and seeing what's being done because on PC, there's models that are developed where you can extrapolate like a ballpark of sales off of the number of reviews that have been left on a page. So there's been studies made and let's say about like 1.5% of people leave a, a review on a page which means that you can take the total, you know, amount of reviews of a game on Steam and just do that times like 50 or 60 and it'll give you a ballpark of how many copies that game sold. And then from there, you can kind of extrapolate how much money could have been generated and all that kind of stuff. Um, so essentially, you're looking at how many reviews a game has to know how popular it is. Uh, and so through that, that study, you'll kind of be looking at the genre that you're attacking, other games in that genre. What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? You know, what are people saying in the comment sections? What are people saying as reviews? What's the Metacritic like? And then you'll have kind of like a, a, a matrix of different titles that are there. You'll have your titles that are like the high performers, the top 1%. And then you'll, you'll see like some through line through that top 1%, something that they've all done. And you're like, okay, so in that genre, I need to do that because everyone's that, that had success did that. Then you look at the ones that failed, they'll, they'll also often have through line. <laughs> They've all done the same thing too. Then you're like, okay, I can't do that because that that's not good. And then you just want to be able to give a hook that's innovative enough with that positive through line that'll you know give everyone, oh, it's like it's this that I love mixed with this that I don't know about. I'm curious. I'm gonna buy the game. That that's kind of like the mindset you want to you want to kind of create. Um, and so yeah, it's comparative studies. And then it's also looking at what the opportunities are, opportunities are in the ecosystem. So for example, like I'm lucky now because I've been 10 years into it. I have a relationship with certain publishers. I know what they're looking for in terms of genres and stuff. So if I have a really good relationship with a publisher that's doing like, I don't know, like dark fantasy shooters or whatever, like dark fantasy games, uh, well, then I know that maybe the theme that I want to be looking at is this right now or if uh, we're looking in the ecosystem and all I'm seeing is zombies, it's not time to make another zombie game because in two, three years, everyone's just going to be like, okay, it's enough. Like, I don't want any more of these. Um, so, you know, Vampire Survivor is an excellent example. It's like a huge hit. I think he sold like five million copies. It's crazy for an indie to sell that many copies uh, without a publisher, without anything. Like, it's, it's just nuts. But then, like, within the next few months, there's like a hundred <laughs> Vampire Survivor clones that come out. It's like, no, the wave has passed, man. You got to like, move on to the next thing or find, you know, or at least innovate, you know, find something different. Just don't redo the same thing, right? Um, so there's a lot of people also doing that and failing. So the market study should give you like what the opportunities are in the ecosystem, what to do, what not to do, uh, comparables, 
uh, and then figure out kind of from there what your initial design pillars and what the theme is and what the story is going to be, what the brief is going to be, what the art direction should be. Uh, you should also be looking at what the, the target audiences are, you know, so if I make a roguelike, uh, you know, I don't know if I make a shooter and it's all flowers and stuff, I'm, I'm probably not hitting the public that you think you are, you should be hitting with a shooter. Right. So, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not some flowery shooter out there that succeeded. Probably there are, but I mean, there's way more call of duties, call of duty clones or like, you know, of those that work. And so you should probably be, okay, so I need my game to be mature. I need my shooting to like feel this way or, you know, the mechanics should work this way. I need my game to be in this aesthetic. And then from there, it's it all kind of like gives you the constraints for your designers to be able to propose an idea that, you know, makes sense with a market. I, I guess that's how we go at it. There's a lot more fine tuning than what I just said, obviously. Like there's a lot of like uh, tools that you can use to, to do all of that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, that's the general idea of a market study is just making sure there's a market for the game you're making because if not you're just putting yourself at a big risk that when you're going to launch your game no one's going to buy it that's why kickstarters are great as a like an early marketing tool you know so when we did steamboat billy like we were in the first months of development so like we use kickstarter as a really early test to see if there's a market for a game but, um, because then if, if people are buying it on Kickstarter, even if it's not like a ton of money, I know that there's at least a book there that people are willing to put money in for. Getting people's money is tough. Like, you know, like uh, asking someone for $20, you got to like give them the value for it. And so if you're able to do that, like really early in a project on the Kickstarter, I mean, that's a big proof that the game has something there that, that people are willing to buy. Um, and so I, I think, you know, those kinds of things are also still things you can do. There's some tests that you could do also just with like some promo images and like a description of a game. You could send that out as an ad on Facebook. You could put $20 of ad on Facebook and just have that prompt and target an audience and just see how many people click and sign up for a newsletter or, you know, how many people kind of like just interact with, you know, what you're putting out. And if you see a significant amount of people, then yeah, maybe the idea has legs and you can move forward. You could kind of gauge yourself with certain milestones like that that allow you to kind of have some some reason to keep going or some form of, you know, this, this, this'll, this'll work. Um, and because if you don't, or if you do it too late, it's just brutal because it costs so much time and money to make games. It's crazy. There's, there's so many people that work on games that make a good game, like artists, designers, programmers, sound, music, like writing, marketing, business. There's just animation. Like it's, it's crazy how many different people have to like interact with each other. And like, as like the, the orchestra coordinator, I'm just trying to make sure everything kind of works into the same direction. Uh, and so when you're putting that much energy and time and, and money into, into a game, you just, you have to make sure that there's something out there for, for people to enjoy. Thanks. Uh, that was great. Uh, that, that, that definitely let me, uh, better understand that process. And I think I it's going to be very helpful. I hope helpful there's like for... students that watch this and maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make the mistake. Go into the industry and work for someone else and learn. You don't need to do it like just because you have a good idea or at least try to do some marketing study or something first. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It's like, I mean, I guess if, if you're if you're testing out an idea or whatever, you don't maybe not necessarily want to sell it yet, but like maybe get better at a certain skill. Like I want to build a side-scrolling game or whatever it is start there but 
yeah, this was, this was very insightful uh, and uh, a very thorough uh, explanation for all that stuff. Um, awesome. Yeah. I don't know if uh, th this podcast was supposed to last an hour, but <laughs> <laughs> you just give not me, generally. Give me a platform, but... and I'll just hear my voice the whole time. It's fine. <laughs> That's totally cool. It's totally cool. Uh, but again, this is this is awesome. Uh, Tom, anything else you wanted to? Uh, no, I, I I think this was super great, super informative. Uh, I definitely appreciated uh, your time, uh, especially uh, since we took a little bit extra of it than we anticipated. Uh, <laughs> no, no problem. But uh, I think there, there, there was a lot in here, I think, especially for somebody who is uh, interested in game development, looking to get in themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think you've given them some, some very important pointers, some very important things to think about. Um, before they, you know, put all their life savings in on an idea, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for yeah. having me, guys. Like, it was a lot of fun. I'm always up to, to chat about video games. And, you know, we'll be releasing more games down the line. So if ever you want to, you want us to jump, jump back on a call and, and, and talk about yeah. our new stuff, uh, we'll be happy to do it. Be awesome. Chris, uh, where can people reach you? Uh, I guess on the Twitterverse or however. Yeah, so the Metavoid Entertainment has a, a Discord server. We're pretty active on there. So if you want to chat with me or other developers, feel free to go and, and ping us and ask us questions there. Uh, at Twitter, it's uh, uh, Manavoid Chansey. And uh, for Manavoid, it's at WeAreManavoid, at WeAreManavoid on Twitter. And uh, I think we're doing some cool things on TikTok now too. I, I don't know. I don't know these platforms anymore, but we we're <laughs> okay. everywhere. You know, just uh, just Google our name and and you know follow us and and check out our games. And uh, yeah, we're we're one of those developers that really like to interact with our community. So you know, Discord is a great way to do that. So our community is pretty much there, pretty active, chatting every day. So uh, if you're if you're if you're interested in what I just said, or you want to hear more, or want to ask more questions, uh, feel free to follow us there. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Chris, for, for taking your time. And, and again, really just opening our eyes to the development of game on Game Pass because, you know, that's what we do. And we love to do that. Like, you know, of course, love to have you on. Love to have more developers from other Game Pass uh, studios uh, and, and, you know, get this, get this ball rolling. But, uh, yeah. Well, I, I know that I'm the first, but I think, you know, we, we now understand we're only one DM away on Twitter from, yeah. from going on a podcast. So. <laughs> Do it, do it with all the other developers that you guys play. I think, you know, you'll be, you'll be surprised at how many people are willing to jump on and have a chat. You know, I think the indie industry particularly, we're pretty tight knit. Like we want to talk about our shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So it's all good. All right. Well, that is it for this episode. Thanks for, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks everybody. <laughs>